So let's, um, I want to look uh, briefly tonight at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 and 2 Thessalonians, you may know this, um, but 1 and 2 and 2 Thessalonians contain most of what we learn from the Apostle Paul, anyway, from the Apostle Paul's perspective uh, about the details of the second coming of Jesus Christ. So 1 and 2 Thessalonians contains, maybe not... Uh, the most in terms of the entire New Testament, but certainly of what Paul wrote. This contains most of what Paul wrote about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so both of these letters were written to correct some misunderstandings that Christians had in the first century about the return of Jesus Christ. The specific concern that they had and that Paul addresses in First and Second Thessalonians uh, was that Christians, many Christians had become unsettled because they all shared a common assumption that Jesus Christ was going to return during their generation. And so they believed so strongly in the imminent return of Jesus Christ, which is what we believe. That is that Jesus Christ could come at any moment. They, they believed so strongly in that. Uh, that they became a little bit unsettled when they began to think, well, maybe he's not coming in this generation. Uh, in fact, what they saw was uh, their friends, their family members, fellow believers in Jesus Christ began to pass away. And so the passing away of that generation caused them to be a little bit concerned. Hey, we've, we, we believe and we have this assumption that Jesus was going to return in this generation. And so now we see this generation passing away. And so some of them began to be a little unsettled uh, by that. And it, and it created, uh, began to create, in a way, a crisis of faith for some of them. As they looked around and began to wonder, you know, what's going on? We always assumed Jesus would come before Grandma passed away or before uh, Dad, you know, passed on uh, to be with the Lord. So it began to create a a little bit of a crisis of faith. So as family members and fellow believers began to die, Christians began to question the timing and the nature of the Lord's return. And so they reasoned, um, they began to explain it away with one of three things. They thought, okay, well, if, if we always thought Jesus was going to return in this generation and now we see this generation passing away, they said one of three things must be true. Number one, either... Uh, Christ has already returned and somehow we missed it. And so we've missed the return of Jesus Christ. Or, number two, uh, Christ has already returned, but we didn't understand his return. And so it wasn't um, a bodily return, but his return must have been more spiritual. It was a spirit, and spiritual in nature. And so maybe we misunderstood uh, the nature of Jesus' return. Or, number three, and this was... The most unsettling, they, they thought, well, maybe he's not going to return. Maybe we misunderstood it altogether, and, and so Christ isn't going to come again. So Paul writes First and Second Thessalonians to correct their errors and to assure them, to reassure them about the truth of the Lord's return. So he reassures them, though, the Lord is coming again. He is imminent. His coming is imminent, which means it can't happen at any, uh, at any moment. So he's writing this to correct their wrong assumptions about the return 
of Jesus Christ and to reassure them about the return of Jesus Christ. And there's something that I noticed in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, and that's where we're going to look uh, tonight, that I'm not sure, uh, I've read it many, many times, I'm sure of that, but I'm not sure that I've ever connected these two things before. And so I wanted to share it with you tonight because it seems especially appropriate to where we're living at in these last days. How many believe we are living in the last days, right? And so I think that what I saw here is very appropriate to where we're living and what we're seeing in these last days. Okay, so first to set the context, I want to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 6, where Paul is reassuring them about the return of Jesus Christ. But he says in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 6, Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you, don't, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape but you, verse 4, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober or be self-controlled. So in these verses, Paul explains that the timing, uh, about the timing of the Lord's, uh, the Lord's return. He explains to them, hey, no, the Lord is coming again. He's coming like a thief in the night. And he explains what we understand now, that the timing of the Lord's return is in God's hands. And that it is, that it is futile for us to try to set a, a date, an actual date and a time when the Lord... How many knows many people have tried that? And many people have failed. I like to think that as soon as somebody tries to set a date, the Lord says, nope, that's not it. I want to, even if it was, he's going to scratch it, put it on a different day on the calendar. Because nobody knows the day. Nobody knows the time. Uh, uh, Nobody has that kind of certainty about the exact timing of the coming of Jesus Christ. So attempting to speculate, Paul's point is to the believers, um, uh, attempting to speculate about the exact date and time of the Lord's coming is pointless, it's unproductive. The only thing that it does, which is what was going on in, with the Thessalonians, is it just causes stress and anxiety. Well, maybe we missed it. Maybe you know, the Lord hasn't returned. Maybe he has already returned and, and we missed it. So he said this, that kind of speculation is pointless, it's unproductive. However, he says we should be, we can be, and we should be aware of the season of the Lord's return. And the season of the Lord's return is indicated by the signs that we can observe all around us. So we don't know the exact time or the day, but we can look around and notice that what? The Lord's return must be close at hand, and so we need to be ready when he comes uh, again. So Paul says, we as believers are fully aware that the Lord will come like a thief in the night. However, by observing the season of the Lord's coming, we should be alert and ready. That day doesn't have to overtake us by surprise. We ought to be alert and ready for the return 
uh, of Jesus Christ. So although we don't know exactly when the Lord will come again, we don't have to be surprised by his return because we can be aware of the season of his return. So this is how Paul puts it. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober or self-controlled. And that, those verses are, uh, or that verse is Paul's best description for how we should live in these last Days, alert, awake, and self-controlled. So how many know that's what Paul is saying to believers? This is how you ought to live in the last days. When you look around and you see what's going on around you, you should be alert and awake and sober. You should live that kind of... So that's the best description for how we ought to live in the last days. But now I want to read verses 14 through 19, Okay. So look down a few verses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 to verse number 14. And so we, are, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In verse number 19, and do not quench the Spirit. Another version says, do not put out the fire of God's Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. So, so here's what I saw, and uh, what I want to ask you tonight. Did, do you notice the difference between how Paul says that the church ought to be living and how the church is actually living in those, just in that span of those few verses, Paul says at the beginning of chapter 5, okay, so knowing what we know about the return of Jesus Christ, that it can happen at any moment, we ought to be looking around and aware of the season in which we're living, and it, he says what? That ought to cause us to live alert, awake, ready, self-controlled, Kind of lives. But then in the span of just a few verses, he describes how the church is actually living when he writes uh, to them. So Paul says, You are children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober or be self controlled. And then in verses 14 and 15, he says, What? So admonish. The idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and tell uh, wrongdoers to stop doing wrong. So it's an admission of sorts, isn't it, that Paul is saying, hey, here's how we ought to be living in view of the return of Jesus Christ, and yet, here's how many of you are living. There are many idle, there are many faint-hearted, weak there are, there are many wrongdoers uh, among you. Do you, see that? Do you see that contrast between the way Paul says the church ought to be living and the way that the church was actually living? A lot of that was, of course, due to their error, the error that they had that many of them had lost their hope that Jesus was coming again. Some of them had said, well, the Lord's already returned, and so we've, we've missed it. And so why do we go on living the way that we've been living if Jesus Christ has already come and we've missed it? Or if, 
if he's come and his, his return is not a bodily, physical return in which he's going to take some to heaven and others are going to be left for the tribulation, then why are we endeavoring to live the kind of life that would, would uh, uh, commend us to be those that Jesus would return for? Or if he's not coming at all, why are we still, why are we still trying to live a holy and an upright life? So a lot of them had just lost their hope and maybe had, had lost their motivation uh, for living the kind of life that Paul said they ought to be living. Abigail asked me this morning, she said, Dad, how do you define, she was doing some homework, she said, how do you define motivation? And I had to think about it for a little while. Have you ever uh, had to try to define a word that you understand, but you're trying to explain to somebody else what the word means? I said, well, motivation, I had to think about it for a little bit. I said, motivation is, is the reason that you have to do something else. I said, actually, it's the reason that gives you the desire to do something else. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He said, you know, if you understand the return of Jesus Christ, then it ought to motivate you to live in a certain kind of way. A lot of the Thessalonian Christians had lost their motivation to live the kind of way that they ought to have been living. Do you see that contrast to what Paul is saying here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? He's saying, this is how you ought to live. Uh, but in reality, there are some of you that are living this way. And so you need to uh, correct that. Just Now listen, this is not the only time. This is not the first time. It's not the last time that Christians fail to live up to the Lord's expectation. Can you say amen? <laughs> uh, I fail to live up to the Lord's expectation for me uh, sometimes in my life uh, as well. But it seems especially serious here in this passage, doesn't it? Because uh, it's occurring at a time when it is critically important. You see that? Paul's saying, you know, it's, it's critically important that you stay awake and alert and that you live self-controlled life lives. And yet, many of you have lost your motivation to live that way and you're living a different way Entirely, and it's a critical moment. How many believe we're living in a critical moment in our day and in our time? Amen. So it's critically important important that we would live in a way that Paul is telling us we ought to live when we look around and see the signs of the time. Just when they ought to be awake and alert, uh, they're idle and they're faint-hearted. I remember... Um, uh, when I was dating Irene, and uh, I would we'd go to we'd go to school uh, during the day, then I'd get off and go to basketball practice after that. I'd go to work sometimes, and I'd work till late, and then sometimes I'd go after work and I'd go see her for a little bit. And she lived on the other side of town, and then I'd leave there and I'd go home, uh, and I would drive, you know, my, myself uh, to her house and back. And one night I was coming back from her house, and I was tired. I was sleepy. And uh, I was about to doze off, and I was on the interstate. Thankfully, it was, a little, it was late at night, and so there wasn't a whole lot of cars on the interstate. But I remember driving on the interstate, and the next thing I knew, I woke up, and in front of me, I was on the median. And uh, in front of me, was grass and gravel, and I was like this. And I just, I just cut the wheel to one side, and fortunately, praise God, uh, cut back onto the road, and uh, I was back on the road. Uh, I stayed awake for the rest of the drive home, man. I, I, mean, I was wide awake all the rest of the way home. 
but for just, listen, how many of us, that's all it takes is just one moment. You're just falling asleep, just one moment. And, and if it happens at a critical moment, then, then you can lose out and you can miss out. And that's what Paul's saying to the Thessalonians. He's saying, listen, this is a critical moment. You can't afford to be idle. You can't afford uh, to be doing wrong. You can't afford to be living the kind of life that will, that will leave you unprepared and not ready for the return of Jesus Christ. It's critical for you to stay awake and to be alert and to live sober and self-controlled lives in the last days. And so just when they ought to be awake and alert, they're idle and they're faint-hearted, just when they ought to have been well-prepared and self-controlled, they're weak and they're doing wrong, they're committing sin. And, and I've never really reflected on the contrast that Paul makes in this, in this one chapter in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, but it's actually pretty glaring, isn't it? Paul says, you know, you ought to be alert and self-controlled, so you need to encourage uh, the idle. You need to tell the faint, you need to help the weak. You need to tell those that are doing wrong, stop doing wrong and start uh, doing right. So Paul appeals to them to give careful attention to their condition because the issue of the timing that Paul has just addressed, the return of Jesus Christ, makes the matter that much more urgent that they would correct those problems in their life and in their church. There is a, there is a need to get certain things in order before the Lord returns. And how many knows we may not have much time left before Jesus Christ comes again. So Paul says, so wake up, warn the idle. And by implication, he is saying, and if you're idle, then get busy. Get busy doing the things that, that you know that the Lord would have you to be doing. He says to the church, encourage the timid. And if you're timid, then you need to pray for boldness. Help the weak. And if you're weak, get the help that you need. Warn the evildoers. And if you're doing evil, then repent and begin to do good. So we need to get ready in the last days. Do you agree with that? If you do, say amen. But Paul doesn't uh, give only advice for getting right. He also gives some instructions for staying right. Because how many knows it's easier to stay right than to get right? Amen? It's easier to stay right than it is to get right. And so, um, so he says here, be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all the circumstances. And then... Finally, and this is what I want to talk about for just a few minutes more tonight. Quench not the Spirit. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. You know, for the, for the past several weeks, we've been talking, as I said earlier, about, about whales and about water and, um, and how the image of water serves to direct us uh, to the sources of spiritual healing and refreshment that, that we need. And so when we're dry and when we're discouraged, aren't you thankful that when we're thirsty or when we're in need, we can turn to Jesus Christ who is the source of life. Amen. I'm glad for that. Uh, last week, we actually included a reminder that it's possible uh, for us to maintain um, a state of perpetual awareness of God's presence and His grace. Remember, Jesus met the woman at the well, 
And he said, hey, if you'll drink the water that I give to you, you'll never be thirsty again. And uh, he also said in John chapter 7, he said, if you believe it, anybody who comes to me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So aren't you glad that God has made provision for us so that, that if we drink of him, we'll never be thirsty again and that, uh, that we can have springs of living water within us. But here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the image of um, the image of a fire suggests the same sort of perpetual preparation that we need to make in our own lives so that we will not lose the experience that we have of God's presence and God's grace uh, in our life. Paul says, quench not the Spirit. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Keep the fire burning in your life, in your heart, in the church, because it's easier to keep a fire going than it is to start a new fire. Amen? So that's what Paul is encouraging these believers. He said, don't let the fire go out. Keep that fire burning. And it's in the Old Testament, the priests were given a very uh, direct responsibility to maintain a perpetual fire on the altar before God. In fact, let me read it for you. Leviticus uh, chapter 6 verses 12 through 13 says this, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and and, uh, put the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. So we have a responsibility to keep that fire burning within each one of us. Amen. Even so much more so as we see, we look around, like Paul says, we recognize that the return of Jesus Christ is very close at hand. So we cannot allow ourselves to become idle or complacent. We have to keep that fire burning and not let the fire go out. Amen. Look at your neighbor tonight and say, keep the fire burning. So we we have a responsibility to make sure that the fire doesn't go out. The responsibility that we have, it belongs to each one of us because in the Old Testament there were certain men that were set apart to serve as priests It was their responsibility to light the fire, keep the fire burning for all of Israel. But how many knows that in the New Testament, God's word says, now what? We're all priests in God's kingdom. It's not the responsibility of the pastor. It's not the responsibility of the worship leader. It's not anybody else's responsibility to keep your fire burning. Uh, They can help. They're instrumental. They're important in that. Amen. They need to preach the word and lead worship and do those things that can help us keep the fire burning, but whose responsibility is it that your fire would keep burning and your altar is your responsibility because you are a priest in the kingdom of God. So we have that responsibility. Don't let the fire go out. Keep the fire burning. How, do, uh, when, how often should we do it? Every day you need to make sure, give attention to the fire that is uh, within you. How do you do it? Um, In Leviticus it says, put the firewood on the altar and the sacrifices on the altar and keep that fire burning. That means add every day, how many knows, 
Every day you need the Word of God. You need to be taking in the Word of God. Every day you need fellowship with the Lord. Amen. You need to, uh, excuse the expression, uh, you need to chew the fat with the Lord, right? <laughs> and Leviticus said, put the fat of the fellowship offerings on. I think every day you need to chew the fat with the Lord. Amen. Don't let a day go by that you're not in His Word, that you're not talking to the Lord, that you're not fellowshipping with Him. Because if you let a day goes by, then how many knows that the fire dies down just a little bit? Amen. So you have a responsibility to keep that fire uh, burning. And when it starts burning low, then we have a responsibility to fan that fire back into a flame. Paul told Timothy, he said, hey, he said, the gift that is within you, the laying on it, when they laid hands on you, you received the Holy Spirit, you received the gifts and the anointing that is in your life. Now it's your responsibility to fan that into a flame. Every day we have a responsibility to make sure that the fire keeps on burning. And we have a responsibility to make sure that it does not go out. We need to guard the fire, not only feed the fire, but we have to we have to guard that fire in our own heart in our own life. What what kind of things can quench the fire uh, within us? Well, obviously, Satan is the culprit that wants to um, quench the fire uh, within us. What is that old song we used to sing in Sunday school? I'm not going to let Satan it out. <laughs> I mean, as a, if the devil could, he would blow the flame out. In our heart. Now, he uses different ways, different methods uh, to do that. One of, the, one of the things that he uses is sin. Sin can quench the fire of God, the anointing of the Holy Spirit within us. Amen? It's our responsibility to guard the fire in our own altar, on our own heart, by guarding ourselves from sin. The storms of life are another thing that the devil uses sometimes to quench uh, the fire of God uh, within us. When we go through trouble and through adversity, it's easy for us to begin to second guess and fall into despair or uh, faint-heartedness, to use a word that Paul uses about the Thessalonians. And so the storms of life, we have to be particularly careful during those storms that we keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. Amen? Uh, Another, another cause of quenching the fire within us, I call it soggy saints. How many knows uh, some saints can be soggy? They can be wet blankets that if you, if you hang around them too long, they'll quench the fire of God. Listen, um, now, now God's word says to those that are uh, weak or those that are faint-hearted, those that are idle, those that are wrongdoers that, he, that Paul talked about, what did, what did Paul say to the believers about them? He said, be patient and be kind with them. How many believes that believers have a minimal responsibility toward other people to be patient and kind toward everyone? Just let me hear you say amen tonight because it'll do me good. Amen. There you go, good. Uh, so we have a, a, a minimal responsibility to be patient and kind, even with people that we don't, Maybe we don't get along with, we don't see eye to eye with, we have difficulty uh, with. That's, that's, the, that's the low bar, is just be patient and just to be kind with everyone. Amen? However, having, having said that, if you want to keep the fire burning in your own 
heart, you've got to guard that flame within you. Amen. And not let them quench that fire within you. Amen. Instead, surround yourself with people that are going to help fan that flame and keep that flame hot in your own life. Amen. So soggy saints can sometimes quench the fire. But the number one cause of the fire being quenched in our life is pretty simple. It's pretty plain. And it's simply neglect. It's just when we neglect the fire that's within us. We don't feed it. We don't fan it. We don't read God's word. We don't fellowship with the Lord. We do things we ought not to be doing. We absent ourselves from fellowship with the kind of people that will fan that fire and help us to grow spiritually. And so by doing those things, by neglecting the gift that is within us, that gift begins to burn dimmer and dimmer and dimmer until sometimes it can just burn out and be quenched. So the number one cause of that fire being quenched within each of us is not somebody else's fault. Again, most of the time it's our own fault because we've neglected it and we've allowed the fire to go out. And how sad that is. Amen. It's a sad thing, but how dangerous, how dangerous is that, especially in the day and time that we're living in right now. And that's what Paul was saying to the Thessalonians, and it's something we need to hear tonight. He's saying, listen, wake up. Realize that Jesus Christ comes like a thief in the night. Just when others least expect it, that's when Jesus is going to come. But he tells these, these believers, he said, but now listen, you, you know better. You know better. You should be able to look around and see the season and recognize that his coming is very close. And when you see these things, then you ought to wake up and recognize that the need has never been greater to remain alert, prepared, ready, self-controlled, because you know that Jesus Christ is coming soon. I want to live that kind of life in these last days. Amen. I want to be alert, awake, self. I don't want to, I don't want to wake up and say, what will happen? And have missed it. Wouldn't that be tragic? And so I want to be awake uh, in these last days. And I believe that you do too.